The scripture reading is from Revelation 12:11. I'll be reading from the King James Version. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Dr. Jennings will be bringing us the message, The Lamb from Genesis to Revelation. The story is told in World War II of a father and his little girl who fled into their backyard air raid shelter during the Blitzkrieg over London, bombs coming down from the plains above. Above them, death and destruction rained down. The little girl was frightened, hoping that both might fall asleep and forget their dangers for a night. The father tucked his daughter into one of the small cots, turned off the light, and lay down on the cot against the other wall. But the little girl couldn't sleep. The rumble overhead, the strangeness of the shelter, with its black shadows, and her mommy gone. The war had taken care of that. It was more than she could stand. Daddy, she whispered across the room, are you there? Yes, dear, I'm here, now go to sleep. He quietly responded, and she tried to, but she just couldn't fall asleep. And before long, the tiny voice spoke again, Daddy, are you still there? Quick was his answer, yes, darling, I'm here. Don't be afraid. Just go to sleep. It's all right. And for some time, there was only silence, each lost in their thoughts. But finally, when the stillness and darkness were no longer bearable, the voice of the little one, craving reassurance, spoke a third time. Daddy, she called out, please tell me just one more thing. Is your face turned toward me? And through the dark, quickly, there came the voice of her father in reply. Yes, darling, daddy is right here, and his face is turned your way. In an instant, the girl fell asleep in the perfect trust of a little child. Today, our subject is the lamb. And the story points us in metaphor to the Lamb. Please bow your heads with me before we begin. Eternal Father, this morning we thank you we're here. We thank you for your incredible sacrifice that we cannot even understand as long as we might study it. Today, Lord, help us to understand what you've done for us that you're waiting with open arms for each one of us to make a decision for you. In Jesus' name, amen. The stories we'll review this morning are old ones. You perhaps have read them many times. But is it possible, is it possible to hear them again for the first time? Sabbath school this morning, we focused in on the words, My mind is fixed on another time, from William Miller. My mind is fixed on another time, through all the turmoil that we face on this earth. Is our mind fixed on another time? 
We will take a journey this morning from Genesis to Revelation about the Lamb, the Lamb of God. The Lamb was to become throughout all Scripture, both Old and New Testament, one of the most important focal points of all the Holy Scriptures. So go with me this morning on a journey from Genesis to Revelation. We will attempt to put ourselves at the scene of each of these events in Scripture. We will stand there as observers looking on these events. We will look on with reverence and with awe. Early in Genesis, we find the description of a Garden of Eden, pristine in all its beauty, and all God's creation was there. It was God's paradise that he gave to our first parents. Our first parents chose to sin, and thus we begin the story of the Lamb. Adam and Eve had a robe of light around them. This was the righteousness of God. When they sinned, according to Scripture, they lost this cover of light around them, and they immediately felt naked and ashamed. Remember now, we are there in our enlightened imagination and standing there, watching. And the Scripture explains this tragic scene in Genesis 3, verse 7 and onward. And the eyes of them were both opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sold fig leaves together. Can you imagine? Fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou, Adam? Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Afraid, Adam? What are you afraid of? Because I was naked and I hid myself, he said. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree whereof I commanded you that you should not eat? Then came the announcement from God about thorns and thistles and cursing the ground. Man would now eat by the sweat of his brow, and this was all spoken by God before they left the Garden of Eden. Also, the first reference to a lamb in the Bible was the first reference to killing of an animal. We find it in Genesis. Remember, we are watching now as this next scene takes place in Genesis 3.21. It tells us these words, Unto Adam... And to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. He took away the fig leaves of their own righteousness, you see. Those that study the original text of Scripture and the theologians that study deeply into this subject believe that the animals here referenced were the two lambs. God took animals and killed them to make coats of skins for Adam and Eve because they were naked as they had lost the robe of his righteousness. So God, likely with Adam and Eve watching, or perhaps he had Adam do this deed, kill lambs to make clothes from their skins. Adam must have shuddered in agony, for you see, these were the very animals he had just named, and they were his garden friends. Imagine. This was Adam's first glimpse of the slain lamb that was to come to save his race. I can see Adam and Eve crying as they watched this scene. Death was foreign to them. It was ugly and it was awful. 
and it was horrible. The lamb now, the home, the new home of Adam and Eve, outside the Garden of Eden, the Lord guarded the entrance to their former home with angels holding flaming swords, the scripture tells us. They could not go back into that garden paradise of Eden because of their sin. The scripture simply says that Eve bore two sons, the first by the name of Cain, and the second was Abel. For you see, Eve thought perhaps Cain was the redeemer that God had told him that was to come. God by this time had instructed Adam, who had taught his sons about the need for the lamb sacrifices. This was so important because man had to be constantly reminded about the sacrifice of the redeemer to come, who was to be here one day to save mankind. How else could he get man's attention? Many have stumbled here at this point. How could God set up a plan to slay animals? Who can argue with God? How else would there be a daily reminder to the children of Israel later? This is a tragic story from Scripture in Genesis 4. Both of, the, both of these boys knew the importance of the sacrificial system. Abel believed God and took him at his word. Cain did not. Abel brought a lamb to the altar. Cain brought vegetables from his garden, according to Scripture. God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but he had to reject Cain's. Cain became so angry, you know the story, he killed his brother. We can visualize Adam there, heartbroken, understanding because of his sin, his own son was killed. Remember, we're standing there watching this scene. Abel's lamb sacrifice pointed forward to Calvary. Cain's vegetables from his garden were woefully inadequate and represented Cain in his own righteousness. We can see Adam there weeping as he buried his precious son. Cain's vegetables he offered represented his own righteousness, pathetically, pathetically inadequate. Abel's lamb represented that he accepted Christ's righteousness for him. What a real-life parable of how we are to live, looking forward to Jesus' return in the heavens. We turn now to the lamb and Abraham and Isaac, the story is old, but could we hear it again for the first time? We touch down in our next journey to Genesis 22, where we have the record of Adam and Isaac. I'm sorry, Abraham and Isaac. So let us go there this morning and watch and see the Lord at work. Genesis 22. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee up into the land of Moriah, and I will offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell you of. So Abraham, knowing God's voice, responded immediately and made the three-day journey with his son. Now it is immediately apparent to me, here is what is happening there is, no key, there is a key word in that first verse we have just read where it says God did tempt Abraham or tested him. 
perhaps would be a better word. He never intended for Isaac to be killed, but Abraham did not know that at the time. We, cup, we pick up the scripture record in verse 7. And Isaac spoke unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? You see, Isaac knew about the lamb. And verse 8 reaches from the millenniums of mystic past time right down to Calvary. And the Bible says, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. The scripture next relates the story of Abraham and Isaac arriving at the mountain designated by God and tells Abraham to tie his son to an altar he had just built. The son whom he loved. He was in the very act of bringing the knife down upon his son when a voice of an angel sounded from heaven as recorded in verse 11 and 12. Oh, blessed words. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I, Lord. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. As we watch this scene, some things come into clear focus for us. Number one, God intended, never intended for Abraham to hurt his son. Number two, Abraham knew God's voice without any doubt. He recognized that voice, even though he was from a pagan background. Number three, the casual observer or one without scripture knowledge, one might see and say, what a bizarre and horrible story. Number four, but the person who has scripture in sight, the person might say, oh, what a beautiful story, a prophecy of the lamb that was to come. The words of Abraham to his son, God will provide a lamb. These words reach down to Calvary's hill when the real lamb was to be slain millenniums ahead of that day. Abraham is a giant in the scripture record. It is no wonder that he is mentioned in one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. You guessed it, Hebrews 11. The great chapter on faith, and he is numbered among the redeemed of all the ages. You could not have your name mentioned in Hebrews 11 without knowing that you will be in the new earth. Hebrews 11.9 clearly says that Abraham believed that God would raise up his son if he were to die. Because of this mighty act of believing and trusting God, James 2.23 tells us that Abraham was now called righteous. It was imputed to him for righteousness. It was given to him. We next journey to the Lamb and the children of Israel. In our journey, we next come to a major event in history. Again, God is telling his people, you must constantly remember the sacrifice that is to come for your salvation. So I invite you again this morning to come with me and watch God at work and his mysterious ways. To understand the setting, we must go back in time to the time when Joseph 
brought his family to Egypt to prevent them from starving in that major famine of the time, recorded in Genesis chapter 40 to 47. Joseph rose up under God's guidance to be the second in command of Egypt to Pharaoh himself. But time passed, 400 years in fact, a time when the descendants of Joseph and Jacob had become slaves in the land of Egypt. And now God said it was time for Israel to leave and to go to their promised land. He rose up Moses to lead them and Pharaoh had a choice to either accept the creator God or to trust his pagan gods of stone and the frog gods of that day. Unfortunately, he chose the frogs. God sent plagues as recorded in Exodus chapters 5 to 10, terrible plagues in Egypt. The Pharaoh still would not acknowledge the true God after all those plagues. Finally, the last plague would be for the firstborn of everyone, including the cattle in the field, to die. There was only one salvation, and that was a sacrificial lamb. We come to the lamb again, was to be slain and the blood to be placed on the doorpost of every dwelling. If that were done, then the firstborn of, born of that home would live. One can only imagine the anxiety of some of those teenage firstborn sons as the afternoon wore on and the father was busy that day. They knew what was coming. The evening came and the father still was busy. 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. Father, father, have you placed the blood on the doorpost yet? The father representing the household was to slay a perfect lamb without blemish and laying his hands on the head of the lamb, thereby transferring in symbol the sins of each one of that household to that lamb. And then the father was to kill that lamb. In this case, he must put some blood on the doorpost of the home. And thus his son, the firstborn son, and the family sins would be forgiven. The father was to take a small plant, a branch from a plant called a hyssop branch, to sprinkle the blood on the doorpost. Later, thousands of years later, David referred to this event by saying in Psalms 51.7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Isn't the Bible amazing? Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. This event was to be known as the Passover. It was to commemorate the deliverance from Egypt with the exodus of God's people, but more importantly, to commemorate Calvary, where the Savior would take away the sin of the world and be the Lamb from God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5-7, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. There was much more meaning here as they were about to eat the flesh of the lamb in that Exodus time, representing that they were to live by the word of God. In fact, it was so meaningful that it meant eternal life as well. Listen to what Jesus said. Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no part and no life with me. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath, present tense, eternal life. John 6.53 and 54. 
When Jesus was in the wilderness fighting with Satan, he said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We come now to the Lamb and Isaiah. As we journey onward through Scripture, we stop and visit the old prophet Isaiah, the people of God who left Egypt and went into the promised land had become immoral, faithless, and idolaters. Their true faith had degenerated into national pride and empty religious rituals. They had gone so far as to worship idols of wood and stone. Isaiah was raised up by God because God's judgment is coming. No man can be saved without God's salvation. Christ's perfect sacrifice for our sins is foretold and portrayed in Isaiah. All who trust in him can be freed from guilt and their sin canceled and forgotten by God. Psalm says he puts our sins behind his back. Salvation is from God alone. No amount of our good works can earn it. Isaiah came upon the scene to teach those lost wandering people this truth and to teach us the same truth. So let us go back this morning to the year 740 B.C. 740 B.C. when Isaiah wrote these words. And look in on this mighty prophet of God. He is sitting there at his table writing some of the most awe-inspiring words in the entire Bible. First Isaiah gives the condition of the people. Then he gives the antidote. The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head there is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. Your country is desolate. Your country is desolate. But then comes the antidote, chapter 53. One of the most astounding, warm, and wonderful chapters in Scripture, and we are brought back to the Lamb again. The Lamb. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep, that's a lamb, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. So more than 700 years before the Savior's birth, we filled, we find the prophecy of the Savior coming to earth to save us on Calvary. So more than 700 years before the Savior's birth, we find the prophecy of the Savior coming to earth to save us on Calvary. The lamb that was to be slain for us is the real lamb that all these thousands and millions of sacrificial lambs pointed forward to all these thousands of years. The real lamb would come someday. And who am I to argue God's plan? Who am I? I'm nobody. We next turn to the lamb and John the Baptist. On our journey, we stop next in the New Testament in the book of John. Here we find that prophet whom Jesus referred to as There has been none born among women greater than John the Baptist. 
he was preaching out in the wilderness, crying with a loud voice, Repent and be baptized, for one is coming whose shoelaces I am not worthy to unloose, saying, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord. That's in Matthew 3. Jesus meets him and asks to be baptized, but John had the amazing privilege of hearing that voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The scripture records the following. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And I saw and bear record that this is, this is the Son of God. Thus his three-year ministry started as he started his march toward Calvary's hill. The real Lamb was there to be slain. The very spot that Abraham built the altar and put Isaac up on old Mount Moriah, that later was Mount Calvary, Golgotha's hill outside Jerusalem. We now turn to the Lamb at Calvary. Our next scene is Calvary, that pivotal point in all history. I invite you again to this scene and go there with me as we look on. That dark Friday when the Son of God, the Lamb for all ages, hung there on the cross to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Lamb had said earlier, I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. That was to happen that Friday afternoon. And I will save to the uttermost, as the thief on the cross is a witness. The strange darkness covered the land for three hours that day. A mighty earthquake and the rocks were rent in two. Creation knew its creator. And a thief next to the lamb was told that day that he had eternal life guaranteed. And a Roman centurion cried out, Truly, this was the Son of God. As his own people rejected him, the thief next to the lamb on the cross warmed the Savior's heart as he was dying. After his death, the Roman centurion cried out, again we repeat the words, truly this was the Son of God and is the Son of God. As his own people rejected him and his offer of salvation, the veil of the temple ripped from top to bottom by an unseen hand, thus exposing the sacred altar where the lambs had been slain for thousands of years. The glory of God had now departed, according to Scripture, all our sins on the Savior that day, and he took them all away. He took them all away. As we can rejoice in our freedom, our freedom and our salvation. We now come to the book of Revelation and the Lamb in the book of Revelation. So let's go there this morning and look in on what's happening. We move forward on our journey to the last book in Scripture. Here we find the author of Revelation, John, the now aged apostle. Come with me as we look in on the scene. Let us go there together to that island known as the Isle of Patmos. Jesus is the actual author of the book of Revelation. John's just the writer. John opens this book with these words, The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to him. So then it is a book about Jesus, the Lamb of God, which we have been speaking about. John then writes, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, 
for the time is at hand, thus giving us a clue as to how close we are to the second coming of Jesus. You know, there's 29 times in the book of Revelation that the word the Lamb comes forth. 29 times. The Lamb writes to us through John, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. So the Lamb is now the Alpha and the Omega and the Almighty. Revelation 2 and Revelation 5 opens up talking about a special prophetic book that no one could open. And John says he wept because no one could open the book. And he quickly says that he beheld in the midst of the throne, and there stood a lamb. So reading from Revelation 5, we have these words, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne stood a lamb as, as, as if it had been slain. This explosion-ridden teenager who was a fisherman on Galilee and Jesus called him to be a disciple now aged writing these words and I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, such as are in the sea and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Revelation 7 continues, And this I beheld into a great multitude, lo, a great multitude, which no man could number. You know, that gives me great courage. A great multitude that no one can number. Of all the nations and the kindreds and tongue and people stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes. White robes. I don't know how to make a white rope. Palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. These are they which come out of great tribulation and they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst no more, Neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of water. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. From Revelation twelve eleven, And they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives, unto the death. From Revelation 15.3, we have these words, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, and just are tr true are thy ways, thou King of saints. From, from Revelation 19.7 and 9, 
Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Who is the wife? That's the great multitude of people we just heard about, the great multitude of people. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. What is it the Bible reminds us of? My word changes not. My words are true forever. From Revelation 21, 22, and 27. And I saw no temple there, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of a sun, neither the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. And there shall be no wise enter anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life, only those written their names in the Lamb books of life will be there. From Revelation 22, 1 and 17, we have these words, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, and the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him, let him that is the thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. So my friends, this morning we started with the Lamb in the Garden of Eden. We next went to Cain and Abel's Lamb. We next went to Abraham and the Lamb. We next went to Isaiah's version of the Lamb. Next went to John the Baptist and the Lamb. Then we went to Calvary and the Lamb. Now we've gone to Revelation and the Lamb. A modern story to try to understand better what this is all about for us individually. Miriam Anderson was one of the greatest soprano singers of all time. After she had become very famous and wealthy, one day she was asked by a reporter, what has been the greatest moment of your life? She could have answered, well, it was the time when I was told by Toscanini, who was one of the greatest pianists of all time. It could have been the time when he said that I was one of the greatest voices in North America. She could have replied that. She also could have said to him, well, it was the time when I sang at the White House before President Roosevelt and the King of England. She could have also spoken of the day that she sang before 75,000 people on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. But instead of all those things and many more, these were her words. Well, you know, it was the day that I went to see my mother and I told her, Mama, you don't, well, Mama, you don't have to take in washing anymore to make money because I can take care of you now. That was the greatest day of my life. This poignant story reminds us of when we enter into the new Jerusalem. Jesus, the Lamb of God, calls each of us by name.
And he gives us a new name, according to Scripture. And he says, welcome to my home, which is now your home. He calls us to join him at the sea of glass. He calls us to stand by the river of life that flows from the throne of God. He calls us to eat from the tree of life. He calls us to come to his special banquet table prepared for us by him, Revelation 19. He told his disciples at the Last Supper in that upper room that he would not drink again of the fruit of the vine until he did so with them in the kingdom. That comes down to us to this day. Jesus is saying to us, come to my kingdom. I can take care of you now. You don't have to wash clothes anymore. Sin is gone forever. I will take care of you. Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Amen. This morning we do pray to the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. May we know the Lamb as a personal Savior. May we trust him now and throughout eternity. May we live today as though he's coming tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.